Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From roommates to co-hosts. This is the Back Check with Brendan Azov and Stefan Wozniak, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azov and Stefan Wozniak. I've been working on waiting for that beat to finish before we started. Welcome to Back Check Episode 5. I'm Brendan. With me, as always, is Stefan. we got a good show today. we got a special guest coming on, Jimmy Murphy, Boston uh, Hockey Now writer. You, most of you guys know him on Twitter as Murphy's Law. Has some controversial takes every once in a while that gets some Twitter folk riled up. But we're going to get some insight onto the Bruins' struggle so far early this season. And the Islanders obviously just took care of them. Before we dive into that, how you doing today, buddy? Yeah, real good, real good. Five, uh, five to one win the other day in my, you know, my house league game. So I'm ready to go. House league, ugh. It is what so it is. You, you got to talk it up a little more. The house league, you got to say, oh, it's the hardest men's division in Long Island. That way, people think you're good. All right, you said it for me. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's not distract anymore. We got there's five games on tap for today. First one's Oilers, Toronto should be fun. But let's let's dive right into Islanders hockey before our interview with Jimmy Murphy. Because we'll be talking about their play against the Islanders, the Bruins. So, Islanders escape Brendan with a one nothing victory over the Bruins. They're outshot twenty seventeen to seventeen. Pajot, a baseball bat, swinging in, and pretty much that was the only offense for the Islanders the whole game. Barlamov extends a shutout streak to one hundred and twenty minutes, the best start of his career. He passes Rick Pietro, I think, was at one hundred and fifteen minutes and and change. So he's in the record books twice. The playoff streak, and now this streak, and he's been unreal. I know we got hurt before um, Saturday's game. Question if he played that game, how would it have gone? But back-to-back shutouts, he's a, he's a clear number one guy right now. Yeah, the the last Islanders goalie to have a streak like that, as you mentioned, was Rick DiPietro. And as soon as that streak ended, he never played again. Um, the, the, the Rangers, I think, would have won the game regardless because the Islanders didn't play well game two. But I love the way Varlamov is playing so far, and he's on my fantasy team, so I'll take the back-to-back shutouts. Really helps me out there. But he really looks confident in goal. And the Islanders seemed to play well in front of him. They didn't play well in front of Sorokin. 
So you wonder if, you know, Trotz rides him a little bit, but that's not really Trotz's style anyway. I, I think that the Islanders are a team that will bounce back. They just had one rough night. We've seen it around the league that big teams have a couple of bad nights. The Flyers laid an egg against the Sabres the other day before bouncing back and winning similar to what the Islanders did. So that's going to be the way of the league so far. And Varlamov looks great. I mean, the, the biggest problem for the Islanders right now is their offense. They're averaging 1.67 goals per game. But the biggest thing is it's against the Rangers, it was non-existent. Against the Bruins, it was really non-existent. It was going to come down to, is Varlamov going to make that that real key save in that big moment? And the whole entire night he did, the defense was pretty good. I know they allowed 27 shots on goal, but they blocked, I think, 20, 20 shots again. They're averaging 19 blocks a game. I have a crazy stat here, too. They're averaging not only 19 blocks a game, 29 hits per game. I mean, they're just taking the body on everybody. And, you know, that you know, okay, hitting the players all the time means you probably don't have the puck. You know, at the end of the day, it's they don't have they don't, and it's true. And my biggest concern is when Barzal is non-existent on the ice, if this offense does nothing, it's one thing to not score. All right, the first line is not the top line is not going to score every game. Mm-hmm. You saw Barzal in game one against the Rangers. He had the, he was all over the rink. You knew he was there, but against the Rangers, you had no idea. And against uh, the Bruins yesterday, it was like, where is Barzal? Because Bar- not Barzal doesn't have to score. He's got to create and generate. The Islanders struggled to generate offense. The whole every line did. I know Ross Johnson and Bellas on that third line played about six and a half minutes the whole game. Tajo got time on the power play penalty kill, and he even played some shifts on that top line. So it comes down to can this island team find a way to score? Because Varmal could only keep this up so much. But we saw what happened in the playoffs. When his streak ended, the floodgates opened a little bit because it, that's a lot of pressure. Now, granted, we're in game we're going into game four of the season when they play tomorrow night against New Jersey. And that and that's a huge matchup for the Islanders because, you know. They handled the Bruins, the Devils. They lost one game in a, sh- in a shootout. They won another one. And it's just which goalie is going to outplay the other because Blackwood just had a great game against the Rangers. We'll get to later. But when you rely heavily on your goaltender having to make those saves, look at the Canadians. This is like the same thing with Carey Price where he's so dominant. But there comes a time where your offense has to score. Now, granted, the Islanders are giving up 1.67 goals per game. That's amazing. That's great. That's what this team's supposed to do. But you're only scoring 1.67 goals a game, and your power play hasn't looked great since that opening night game. And it was two for seven or two for eight, whatever it was, which statistically looks great. But now you're going games without scoring, and it's it's unfortunate because this Islanders team you got to take advantage of these games. Boston they snuck away with one, but it was not a great performance at all. No, it wasn't. And going into this game against the Devils, I look at two things: one, the Islanders can't score; they they can't produce offensively. They had one goal in their win. Uh, they got shut out the game before that. They went six periods without scoring a goal before that one Pajot bounce. And uh, I mean, great play by him to bat that puck out of midair. But I I have concerns, and I've talked about these concerns since the, before the season started about their offensive production and potential because so much of it falls solely on Barzal's shoulders, and I don't think he's capable of carrying an offense like that. I think he needs help, and that's not a knock against him. And most people do need help, especially when it comes to the NHL. And when you look at Blackwood, how he just played, how the Devils have kind of locked down defensively. I know the Islanders have a great defense and shut down the Bruins, but the Devils were doing the same exact thing. So if they could do that to the Islanders, the Islanders don't have the the high-end talent to to break through that kind of defensive thing. And if the Devils get an early lead like they did against the Rangers, they're going to win that game. And I don't believe that the Devils are going to be this good all season. I think that they're young too, so they're going to have their rough stretch, but they're playing really well right now. Lindy Ruff has them on a grind, and they're, they're getting contributions from Miles Wood. They're getting contributions from Jack Hughes. I think he's got five or six points already this season. 
So if these young kids start to play like that, they're going to be a, a hard team to play against game in and game out. And they're doing exactly what the Rangers hope to be doing. And the Rangers aren't doing it. It's all about possession. You look at the Devils and, you know, Jack Hughes could dominate. He dominated against the Rangers because he had the puck. The yep. offense had the puck for majority of that game until the Rangers pushed back. But for the Islanders, it's, it's not even that they're not scoring offensively. They just don't have the puck. The other teams are playing key boy. And again, we see all these hits racking up and that's great. But if you have to see a high hit total, that usually means you do not have the puck. And even guys like Brock, there's no one is creating. I always, you know, hated when I saw Brock Nelson try to do that extra move to create something because you have one of the best releases on the team, if not the best, shoot the puck. But now you're seeing him in the offensive zone and I want him to make that move, create something, try to create something because right now the Islanders look lost offensively and I get it. Defense is their system, but you have to put the puck in the net to win. And in a tough division like this, you have to take advantage. And the Devils aren't a great team coming into the year. Now, granted, they're playing a lot better than people expected out of the bat, out of the gate. And it's for because they're a young team. No one really knows their identity. You got Yegor Sharangovich scoring in overtime. You got guys picking up the slack. Subban actually looks pretty good out there, shooting the puck well. Blackwood looks like the, the number one goalie he's supposed to be. Can they keep it up? We'll see. But the Islanders have to go in. And, and show that they could score. Put up three goals. I'm not asking for a five-goal performance, but the lack of scoring is just going to put way too much pressure on this defense, and then it's going to come down to, we saw last year, um, when Johnny Boychuk got hurt originally, when the fourth line was banged up, when Pellet got hurt, there was a, there was a stretch. They, had an, um, they were on the road for a couple of games, and they got absolutely killed. And it wasn't that the defense was playing so bad. It was the fact that it was building up over time that the offense was not scoring at all, the pressure was coming from the defense to have to score and play their structured defense. They were failing to do their structured defense. They're handling too much. And then you saw Thomas Grice and Varlamov getting lit up. And it all trickles back to not scoring. It's too much pressure on this defense. This is a defense that is missing a lot of key veteran, uh, key players from last year. Boychuk's gone. Tease is gone. You got Dobson. looked terrible, terrible against the Rangers. He looked a lot better against Boston, but there's a lot of pressure here, and I know, I mean, one of the good things from this game is that Martin Martin got his 3,000th career hit in game 695, which, I mean, that's his job. Create momentum. The problem is he's creating momentum, and no one's – it's not. It's just stopping. Yep. There's no – got to continue the pace of playing. At the end of that game, the, the Bruins pushed. They pulled uh, Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask played well. It wasn't on him at all. It's just – you, you, the Islanders are so good when they have a lead. And granted, they got a lead from Pajot. That was a huge goal because the Islanders, the Islanders sadly were not, I don't think they were going to score that game. I really think it was going to come down to going to overtime or maybe a shootout and having to rely again on Varlamov. And Varlamov played great. There was a few times where he lost it a little bit, but he's playing really sharp. Again, though, you, it's just not sustainable over even a 56 game season, let alone 82. You have to put the puck in there. And if you're not going to do it, we see we saw Kiefer Bellis hit the taxi squad today. Does Oliver Wallstrom come in and try to create? You know, does he get an opportunity here? Because Josh Bailey wasn't in practice today. It's a maintenance day, we believe. Trot said something about uh, Bailey is close to returning. So that makes me seem to think there's something else going on. So if he can't play, who comes in? Not that Bailey is your goal scorer, but in the past, it's shown that he could set up plays. Trotz has to switch up the lineup now and find something because this third line. With Pajot was your only offensive weapon on the third line. He was your only offensive weapon in the game against the Bruins. Now you take away his, you know, Josh Billy's not playing. Do you move Pajot up? If you move Pajot up to that second line, let him play in the wing. Put Leo Komarov centering that third line. But that's, uh, Bellows, Komarov, and Russ Johnson is not going to help you on offense. The fourth line is not going to really create offense. They're going to forecheck like hell. That's what they usually do. I just, I got to see some offense because if they don't score, we're going to see another mediocre year like we saw last year where it's, all right, that's defense is all we got. And Grant, if they get sneak into a playoff spot, it'll pay off because their offense did come alive.
but your offense is healthy this year, so that's no longer an excuse to not score. Their second line was so dominant in the postseason. They've been non-existent. Non-existent. I have not seen... It's crazy. The amount of non-existence I'm seeing from players that Bavillier always... doesn't matter how bad the team plays. You always see Bavillier doing something, uh, getting a, getting an icing uh, called off because he's working his butt off to get there, making plays in the corner, making great passes. You just have not seen anything from the second line besides Brock Nelson scoring an open night, which was on the power play. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't even strength. It was an extra man when he was alone in the slot and buried one. But besides that... Not- they're regressing. Team-wise, they're regressing. They might still make the postseason, but they're getting older. They've never added offensive talent. They've just benefited from some career years from a couple of their guys, and then they've rewarded them with ridiculous contracts after. So there's no way that they can get better. I, you, They might be Stanley Cup contenders this season, but there's no one that if you're looking at a Eastern Conference Finals matchup on paper, you're not going to pick the, the Islanders over the Flyers right now. Even though they beat them last year, I still don't hold that much account to that. And I think that if the Flyers are going in as hot as they were last year before the hiatus, I don't think anybody in the East is going to beat them, not even Tampa Bay. And then I look at the West, and I see the two juggernauts out there, and and then I see even how St. Louis still looks without Petrangelo, and there's a couple of teams. I don't see anybody, the Islanders, being able to score with them in a playoff series. And granted, they'll frustrate the hell out of them, and they might make it a battle, but they can't score. It hurt them against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay didn't score a lot. They just scored two, and the Islanders couldn't score more than two. So uh, I see the same thing happening this year. And if their second line doesn't produce at all, you're, you're at a loss. You are. And I think it's time we see Wallstrom come in because Keeper Bellis could, you know, he had eight hits on opening night. He doesn't play a lot of minutes, but he's not, he's doing exactly what Michael Dalco did. All right, he's, he's a scorer by, you know, on paper. And we've seen what he's done in the past in the juniors, AHL, everything, the world, um, the world juniors. Keeper Bellis is a goal scorer, but he's not showing you that he can score at this level right now. Dow Cole was a top five pick in a draft. He can't score. And now you're looking at, all right, hopefully Wallstrom will come, he- come in here and score because, you know, again, we talked about it where you want to get rookies playing time, but this is a year where it's a shorted season. And if they don't produce, you can't waste time. But the problem is the owners don't have enough scoring depth to put another guy. Leo Comer coming to the lineup and play third line minutes. He's not scoring goals. They need goal scores. They don't need an bottom players to just do the little things. They already have that. I think Ross Johnson played really well the other day. I think he's played well, but he's not a goal scorer. Pajot's a goal scorer. But you, with Ross Johnson on his wing and Bellows, they weren't produ- creating anything. Pajot was doing what he could from the opportunities he was making for himself. He was in the right position on that shot by Pellick. It wasn't his teammates doing much. He was in the right spot. He made a play. Other people on the Islanders have to step up and make a play, or it's going to be a rough season. The defense, great goaltending is great. Defense wins championships. But not if you don't score a goal and you lose one nothing every time. I mean, they got lucky against Boston, and I hopefully against the Devils, they figure out they score a couple because it's, they need confidence right now. And I, we'll get to Jimmy Murphy when he comes on. The Bruins are looking at the same thing where they need confidence as well. Yeah, I mean, once these are the types of teams that once they get on a roll, we've seen what the Islanders can do. But I, I'm not entirely sure that the Islanders this year can get on a roll like they did last year. As far as Boston is concerned, yeah, they can get on a roll. We, we know the high-end talent they have. And once Pasternak comes back, it's still a very scary team. When we come back from this commercial break, Jimmy Murphy is going to be joining us. We're going to talk about the Bruins, how they match up with the Islanders, and going forth in this East Division. Then we're going to dive into some Rangers hockey, some league news. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. It's Brendan here. Do you have old jerseys? 
What about old hockey equipment? Rather than throw these items out, our friends over at Ultramate would love to have them. This nonprofit converts jerseys into reusable face masks. The same face mask the New York Rangers wore in the bubble this past postseason. The old equipment you donate will be given to less fortunate children throughout the state. It doesn't matter what team you root for. Let's all come together to make a difference and grow the sport of hockey. To learn more, head to altronite.com. That's altronite.com. All right, we're back here at the back check. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of heated stuff about the Islanders. It's only three games in. Both the Islanders and Rangers are only three games into their season. There's a lot to take away from those three games from both sides. Good bad and a lot of ugly too so uh, i mean in the east man it's not the team at the top that we thought oh the flyers are at the top it's not the teams at the top that we thought it would be right off the bat with the devil sitting there ahead of the bruins rangers and all those guys but it's still as competitive as we thought it's a i think what are the flyers have six points in first and then the rangers and sabers have two so that spread uh, I obviously one through eight will be a little bit wider, but I don't expect that much of a gap between the, the cl- clutch of one through six playoff teams. I mean, we're seeing right now where in the entire NHL that anyone could go against anyone and pick up a game. We saw Detroit play Columbus pretty well and it's fun to see, but in the, in this ease, like we said, it comes down to the last game of the season to determine something. I don't, I don't see, there's no, if the devil's going to play like this, this is another team to add to this mix because I don't think it's fair to, to knock them out. I don't think it's fair to say that, that um, they can't keep this up. They've been playing great under Lenny Roth. The team seems to come together after the PK Subban fight. And not that it's scary. I mean, the Devils did scare me against the Rangers. For people that were betting, I was you know hesitant because you, know, you don't know what this Devils team. You don't know what their strengths and weaknesses are because they look like a legit team that could compete, not Stanley Cup bound, of course. So they have a, lo- a lot of young pieces, but... They look scary. They look they're a scary team to play against because you don't know. Yeah, you, you never know. And the way Hughes is playing, <laughs> I mean, he can carry a team. We we've seen how good he could be. Uh last night, I don't know if you want me to get into the, the Rangers oh, right now. While we wait, just because we'll wait for him to come up and go right into it. All right. So last night, the Rangers have Capo Caco on their team. And he had a great first period. He was buzzing all around. Hughes wasn't really that loud in the first. And the second period, he played like a minute and a half. And there was a couple of penalties, a couple of power plays. So I get that. He's not on the power play units. That's a separate issue. Don't ask me why. But you got to get him out there if he's playing like that. And then to make things worse, you have all this hyped-up rivalry. And then there's an additional rivalry between the one and the two pick. And Hughes and Cockle really haven't played each other because Hughes missed most of the meetings last season. So what does Truba do? Truba fires a shot right off the shin pad, gives him a breakaway, he scores. And I'm sitting there. This isn't, you know, a rookie defenseman. He made the cardinal sin of defense. Cardinal sin is when you pick your head up, there's a guy coming at you. You can't shoot it off the shins because it just fires the other way. And he did it. And he looked terrible doing it. And Georgiev couldn't stop a beach ball last night. And the first goal was on him. The Jack Hughes first goal was on him, too. You got to catch a puck. It was two shots off his glove. That is on Truba. The next goal is on Truba, too. But we got our, our guest here, and we'll dive into that in a second. Cool down, Brendan. Joining us now is Jimmy Murphy of Boston Hockey Now. Jimmy, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing? We are doing, doing well. 
So we'll dive right into this. Through, you know, through the first three games, the Bruins have yet to score a five-on-five goal. Do you think it's as simple as scoring four or more goals in a game to just get this offense going, or is there a lot more to their struggles? Um, you know, that's a mixed, it's a mixed question there because I think, you know, a lot of people are wondering why Don Sweeney didn't do something about this before the season began because it was pretty well known and well documented for the last two to three years that they've had secondary, secondary scoring issues. And then you take away Tory Cruz from the back end, who really provided offense there and moved the puck up ice like no one else. Um, so I, I think that, you know, they decided they were going to go with what they had. I'm just wondering how soon do they reconsider that right now. And yeah, of course, if they go out tomorrow night against the Flyers in their home opener and they pop in five goals and you know, a guy like Jake DeBrock maybe gets two of those and, and gets monkey off his back, then and who knows? But the problem is, is a guy like Jake DeBrock and so many other secondary forwards uh, seem to have that monkey living on their back. Uh, for the past few years. And I, I think the main thing is eventually they're going to have to go external uh, to get some scoring help, should they choose. Who, who do you think they would go out and get? Who's your guy that you think could help this club right now? Well, I, you know, interesting, right? I mean, I'd say, yeah, they need secondary scoring up front, but I'm of the belief that really it all starts in the back end. I, and I think that's kind of where they're trying to model their team right now. If they brought in those young D guys who are – you know, naturally good puck movers, but obviously are raw as well and don't have much experience. So it's a tough choice here. He's targeting a, a second line right wing, which I know they're going to they really want. And I think as we also mentioned, as, as we speak about this, it you know, pops in my head here. You know, Bruce Cassidy just told us today that he doesn't know when Andre Cosby is coming back. And they're, they're still terminated as an upper body injury, but let's Let's call it say, say, and say the guy's most likely to have a concussion. He's had a concussion history. So this isn't good news for, for neither the Bruins or Andre Costa in his career. Um, it, he just hasn't really been able to get it going here because of injury since he arrived last February. And, you know, maybe that makes Queen look more uh, up front there. You know, they, they are satisfied right now with the way the young guys are doing. So based on those two factors, uh, I would say that he's looking for scoring help up front, but, you know, are we talking, is he going to try and pull off a mega deal and go out and get Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, or Patrick Laine? I don't know that the Bruins have the assets in their arsenal to get that right now. I, I really don't. They want to really stripping um, your, your current roster and, and giving away 20 or not one of them, your best prospect is Jackson Naker, who I, I think to them right now is untouchable. So, He's going to have to look for somebody on a different tier than those guys. And, you know, who's out there right now? You know, they had a chance to get Mike Hoffman, and they let St. Louis go ahead and do that. Uh, you know, I don't know. What, what is the answer? I don't think anyone knows that right now for the Boston Bruins. Well, you speak about their defense, and it's impressed you. What can you say about these young guys? Because, you know, they lose Char and they lose Krug. And I know Char with age, but he's still a reliable defenseman. Krug's a great puck moving defenseman. They're allowing 1.67 goals against, which has been great. Tuka's played a big part, so has Halak. But what have you seen from this young defense? Well, what I've seen is actually what I didn't expect. I, like I said, I, I felt like the, you know, a guy like Lauzon or, or Zaboro, uh, and even if they eventually use back nine, and uh, all guys that I think are good at moving the puck, um, but I wasn't expecting how good they've been in their own end. And I, I think Jeremy Lauzon is, is the best example of that right now, playing up there with Charlie McAvoy in the top pairing. And he's not going to, I'm not putting him anywhere near the level of Nano Char 
not like you get that out of way, but what he is doing is providing that physical element, providing that stay-at-home guy to kind of lean back and allow Charlie to pinch and, and, and produce more offensively. Um, so I think it's been a good blend there up front. And then, you know, I, I'll give Zabor credit. I'm not the biggest fan. I think he, you know, he, he was not a good draft pick for where the Bruins took him in 2015. And, of course, we could dissect that whole draft of Bruins uh, in over three episodes. With how bad they bought that, but I, I guess I get a lot of reports from scouts, you know, that watched him closely in Providence, and they're not too high on him. That being said, he he has been better than what those scouting reports had said. So I think that's a good thing, and I think Matt Krizlik is really uh, stepping up into the role of never winner. I don't think he's going to replace Corey Cruz. I, I think the Bruins can realize that, and that may be end, end up being one of their biggest mistakes is that nobody will replace him. Um, but he. He's giving him the best to have there in terms of power play quarterback uh, and also just being a guy that's going to shoot more right now and, and really push it offensively. Is Grizzlick healthy after, you know, getting hurt in the Islander game? Is he okay? It's interesting. He told us today that he said it, was, uh, it wasn't it was actually something that, that you know, and, and let's call it fans. I don't care. Islanders fans are going to get pissed off. but uh, And I know he's a clean player. But that was a sleuthless in my eyes, and I didn't like that play at all. I, I'm surprised it's not getting more attention in the league, or it didn't. It never will now, obviously, but I, I think that was a sleuthless. But he, he said his injury wasn't a result of that. That just re-aggravated it. So he, he conveyed to us that there's something nagging uh, that he's been dealing with, and that just kind of upset it a little more. But he's been fine in practice today. He feels he's good to go. Uh, he feels he's good to go, I think, for official purposes. They said he's a game-time decision. He'll play tomorrow against. Oh. All right, so we saw the New Jersey Devils uh, give the Bruins all they could handle, really, in the first two games of the season, and it was kind of a surprise. Do you do you attribute the Bruins' start to just the Devils coming out and being impressive, and you know, kind of surprising them and taking them aback, or do you think that the Bruins kind of came out slow and sluggish out of the gate? Oh, I'm going to give it to the Devils here, and I think maybe the one thing I'll say about the Bruins, and much like a lot of media and fans alike. Uh, thought coming into the season that the Devils were going to be, you know, and the Sabres too, but more so I think the Devils people thought that was going to be the cakewalk. That's the automatic two-point in this division. Through that, this is the toughest division in hockey right now. Hands down. And anyone that says otherwise is not really paying attention to the game. This is the toughest division, division right now. And let's not forget that the Devils are, are two years removed from playoffs. Okay. And now they got a TK Subban coming back with probably the biggest chip on his shoulder he's had since he was traded to Nashville. All right, he's motivated. He's really shown in his play. He's blocking up the minutes, and he's really becoming a black little asset for Lindsey Ruff on the blue line. And then we got a guy like Miles Wood who all of a sudden is uh, trying to be the next Tom Wilson, and he can chip in offensively, and he can drive the opponent nuts, and he can play dumb when he rushes the goal, and he can get away with it. Uh, you know, Devils and, and oh, Jack Hughes. Let's not forget what he did last night against the Rangers. So yeah. uh, he's starting to look bigger out there. Uh, so there's no easy team in this division. You know, maybe the Bruins were a little guilty of that. I don't think so because I saw them play a very structured game. Uh, I think it just goes back to what we started this conversation off with, with their scoring woes. But give the Devils 100% credit there. They've stepped up, and I like what I've seen from them right now. 
Yeah, so you talked about the East and how loaded it really is from one to eight. There is no easy game because even if the Sabres look like they're struggling, they still got some offensive talent there. So how do you think it's going to shake up? Do you think it's going to be that close from top to bottom? And that I know that over the first two games, we saw a lot of splits. We saw a lot of close battles. Do you think we're going to see that throughout the 56-game season? I do. I do. And it's going to be interesting, um, you know, what teams on a, if you're, if you're a betting person or something. I do a, I do a handicapping show now, guys, called the Ice Dot. You know, we're always trying to read the trends. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to look right now. It's very even split as to what teams are more defensive and what teams are going to, you know, cost. But, you know, when you put the caption penguins together for the last 15 years, we know they're going over. We know they're going yep. But you, now maybe you put the Devils and the Bruins together and the Islanders and the Bruins together, uh, you, you know, Get, you know, get some caffeine in you because you can fall asleep because this is going to be a very defensive struggle. So um, I, I think both ways, if, you know, they're trading goals or they're trading hits and goaltending, uh, I, I think it's going to be a very tight division. And I'm looking forward to it, guys. I love the fact they're playing each other, uh, you know, eight times a year. I, I think we've, we've already seen the bitterness grow between these teams, and, and it's only going to get better as we go on. Last question from us. So, Derek Pass makes out, obviously, and he's a big loss. But, you know, hockey's not one of those sports where it's dictated on one player. But what is his loss showing you about the Bruins team and about their power player, about setting up in the zone on that, that top line? How big of a loss is he? And when he comes back, do you think it'll be right back to what we saw last year? Well, ironically, I would have said coming into this season, guys, when I knew he wasn't going to be around until probably February, that, yeah, the power play would suffer the most. And then, like, we go back to what I said about Tory Krug leaving, that would have been the biggest thing. But they seem to miss him more on five and five right now. They they've got guys they can rotate in and out on that power play. I think Krejci is a very underrated weapon there uh, when it comes to their power play. But you know you look at them five on five right now when it comes to strict matchups, and they just don't have a right wing that unfortunately and you know I, I hate to be blunt but just can't match the intelligence of Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marshall and, and, and compete with or keep up with that, so to speak. And that we're seeing that on the ice right now. They, they just, they're not finding a chemistry there. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, who I think can be a 30 goal scorer if he, if he really found consistency. I don't know if he's ready to be on that line, but he, he has no choice right now. So he's going to have to step up and make that happen there. But that's where I, I, I think they miss him more five on five than they do on the power play. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, you can follow Jimmy on Twitter at Murphy Law, Murphy's Law 74 Pleasure. Hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, to everybody in New York, stay safe, guys. Happy thank talking. You. Thank you. Have a good one. Well, the Boston Bruins have had a, a ton of issues, and like Pasternak's been, you know, a, they don't score 5-5, five and, five and Pasternak's loss hurts, but we know in hockey that it's not all about one guy. It's got to be other guys stepping up. I want to go back to one point before we get back into your Rangers talk about the Matt Grizzly play with Everly. Now, this play happened in the Bruins, obviously, in that game. Everly was coming up the boards after the puck was dumped in. and there It's a race to the puck, pretty much, where it's going to be an icing, a fast break, and Grizzly steps in front of Everly. Penalty um, arm goes up, and Everly tries to get around Grizzly and gets stuck, and he sticks his right foot out, or his left foot, trips Grizzly up. Now, it didn't get a lot of attention. Right off the bat, all Islander fans were probably wondering why Everly was getting called. You watch, when Butch scoring agrees with a replay, 
penalizing your team, you know it was a penalty. And it was a penalty. Now, I'm not sure if I agree with Jimmy there about how it should be looked into more. I don't think he was intentional. I think he was just the way his body moved trying to get around. He stuck his foot out. But at the same time, if Matt Grizzlick, a very underrated defenseman, has a lingering issue and that re-aggravated it, this Bruins team can't afford to see guys on defense go down when they've been helping to contribute to offense and their defense has been so locked down. And they don't have a lot of depth guys to play. Their depth's there. Like they're, they're, they're young guys are in the lineup now. You don't really have many more options now that might have to, you know, go get somebody, waiver pickup. But unfortunately, Grizzlick's okay. But getting Kasi back is big, is big. And hopefully this – well, not hopefully. We're Islander Ranger fans. We hope this Bruins team struggles finally for the rest of the season. But I don't see this this 5-on-5 lack of goal scoring keeping up that much longer. Once they figure it out, once they find the right piece on that top line, they'll start scoring goals. But it's the same thing as the Islanders. It's not about their top line. It's about their lack of offensive help from their defense right now. The Islanders don't have a two-way defenseman that can really contribute to the offense at the same rate that some teams do, right? I mean, you look at the Rangers. They have D'Angelo when he's in there. They have Adam Fox who could do it. The Islanders don't have that. The Bruins right now without Tory Krug don't have that either. Uh, they, they look towards McAvoy to, you know, these guys to do it. But who knows if they can and like you said, if there's lingering injuries, who knows if anyone can do it? So uh, we'll see when Pasternak comes back. If he can, I think he will play a huge role in, in boosting their offense. But I don't think he's going to cure all their woes by just coming back. So th- there's a lot more things there. Andre Kasha is a very good player, yeah. and I think that he's very underrated in this league because he was kind of hidden in Anaheim. But when he, if he can come back healthy that that will definitely help their depth a little bit because right now that they're, they're putting out a bunch of you know younger guys on their second line third line that really can't produce yeah so i know your rant was cut off but let's get back to your your, your thoughts pretty much about the rangers in their last game against the devils last night which again the rangers dominated pretty much the second and third period looked lost in the first and take it away brendan well, they, they looked good the last nine minutes of the first period. I think after the that point, it was all Rangers. That wasn't even my rant. That was just me stating facts about Jacob Truba being a horrendous contract right now. And the fact that they gave him $8 million to shoot the puck into a rookie shin pads is utterly absurd to me. And my favorite part of that whole game yesterday is that David Quinn's remedy to the some of the defensive problems they had was to put Truba together with Jack Johnson, which is, it's just like, I mean, come on. It, you want to talk about some head-scratching moves? That's called being a boneheaded coach. And that is one of the worst decisions I think I've ever seen. But he topped it today during practice when he decided to keep Johnson in the lineup and scratch Smith, who he's played more in the last two games over Jack Johnson. Brendan Smith has a point and is a plus four in those two games, while Jack Johnson has no points on this season and is a minus two. So uh, Jack Johnson looks completely horrendous out there every time he steps on the ice. He he looks like the Rangers went to the junior Rangers team and said, hey, we got some injuries. We need a guy to fill in. You got a kid? He shot a puck yesterday from the point that went so far wide, so far wide, I, I thought somebody might have hit like thrown something into his eyes. I thought he might have been blind for about five and a half seconds. That's how wide the shot went. He wound up from the point and dumped it into the corner. And he wasn't dumping it in, let me tell you. He was ripping that towards the goal. Mackenzie Blackwood looked and said, do I need to go over there to stop pucks now? Because that's how wide this shot was. He's horrendous. He is terrible. Catch your, breath. Smith. Catch your breath for one second. We have some bigger news to announce. Oh, what happened? Josh Bailey is on the COVID list. Oh, that's not big news. He sucks anyway. No. All right, relax. Okay, first off, this is a problem because 
who else is exposed. He's the only one on the list right now, which is good that he didn't come to practice today. But that is the reason for his absence at practice, which means there. I doubt he'll play tomorrow. We'll get into that a little bit after. Continue, Brendan. So Jack Johnson stinks. I think we've got that point across. Yeah. He should not be playing. Brendan Smith has actually looked very good. Yeah. And I said about a month and a half ago when I went on the Hockey Writers Live, which I'll be going on again after this, to talk about Pierre-Luc Dubois of the Rangers, that he is going to bounce back now that you're giving him solid defensive reps. The Rangers putting him on offense and defense and offense on defense kind of ruined his momentum and ability to get comfortable. He looks good in those two games. Him and Miller might have been one of their best pairings outside of Fox and Lindgren in the third period. So why take him out of the lineup now? It just doesn't make sense to me. And that leads to coaching, right? David Quinn, we had a bad start in game one, a bad start against the Devils. Now, it wasn't that bad of a start. Georgiev's got to make that save. If he makes that save, it's a 0-0 game going into the second period. It's a different story. But you look at what Quinn does to this lineup. Kako has a great first period, doesn't really play in the second. These young kids are getting shuffled around every single game. Kako is practicing with Howden and Di Giuseppe today in practice. That's the line he's on. Thank God Mika Zibanejad is healthy and can go on Friday because if he goes out there with Howden, well, the only good news is if he goes out there with Howden, he's probably playing 15 minutes more than he does because Brett Howden somehow gets 20 minutes a game for his otherworldly fourth-line minutes and fourth-line contributions. Nine points last season. Whoop-de-doo. Let's give him 25 minutes a game. So the, the Rangers' inability to get anything going is not because of the lack of talent on the ice. It's because of an inability behind the bench. And there's a man by the name of Gerard Gallant out there who's a pretty good coach. And I think a lot of us remember how he took a Vegas Golden Knights team who had never played together to a Stanley Cup final. And I think a lot of us remember how William Carlson, who had about four points the year before, all of a sudden became a 40-goal scorer. And how some of these young kids that they had, younger players started meshing and going off. Ooh, doesn't that sound like an enticing option for a young Rangers team? that has a lot of young talent that needs to mesh instead of David Quinn right now? Because it does to me. And I think that if we talked about with Dan Rosen, if he's going to be on the hot seat come the end of the season and Dan Rosen said if they keep progressing, even if they miss the playoffs, I think he should be on the hot seat right now because you do have a suitable replacement. If Gallant was hired and there wasn't a suitable replacement, I'd say give him time. But you have a better coach and a better option right now. And every other team in the division has made coaching moves to better their team. The Islanders brought in trots. The Capitals bring in Laviolette, right? Mike Sullivan been a godsend, and he was the Rangers assistant coach. And instead of hiring him, they went with Delaney Vigneault, who was a very good coach, and now he's on Philadelphia. So every team has bettered themselves coaching-wise. The Rangers got worse. And they're, they're too slow to see that it's affecting them. So That's I rant. Okay, well, it was a great rant, Brendan. Bravo. I tried not to laugh as hard because as an Islander fan, this is just hysterical. But you would think... From Quinn's background as a collegiate coach, where his job is to get young players to that next level, why why is it such a problem? This because now he's at that next level. But he's at the next level. But he could he realistically can treat this Ranger team like he was coaching in college. He could. What makes, what makes Barry Trotz so good? Well, he's definitely he's a veteran. He knows the game. and He has a system in place that he gets his players to play to. Say that word again. System in place that he gets his players to play to. Okay. When the when the Islanders are struggling, yeah. how many lineup changes does he make? He makes a ton. He makes a ton. Does he push the right buttons? 
Yep. Uh, the, the worst game I ever saw the Islanders play ever under Barry Trotz was Saturday night, and it will never happen again. Exactly. And what they do, they bounce back, got a win, right? Yep. When the Rangers have a bad game, it tends to carry over. <laughs> now, that that is in part due to a young team. Yes. It's also in part because their, their coach just shuffles everything. There's a difference between making a lineup change and saying, you had a bad game, we're going to insert. David Quinn did that, right, after the Islanders win opening night. He took D'Angelo out, made a lineup change. It worked. Great job. There's a difference between that and shuffling lines every single game to try to get production. If you have to shuffle your lines every single game, that means your lines aren't the right lines that you put together originally. Or you have to give them a little bit of a chance to develop. You're not talking about Patrice Bergeron age players here. You're not talking about Islanders level age players here that have played together and are veterans. You're talking about kids who are all 22 years old and younger. Let them play together. Let them develop chemistry. Lafreniere didn't look bad in that first game. He was in the only Rangers that actually had the puck and stood out a little bit. Right away, they put him up on a line. But that shifts his chemistry from what he was just developing with Edel. And it's like this kid is 19 years old. Let him get his footing. Let him develop with somebody. Let him look at an Artemi Panera now and say, you're my line mate. But no, I'm sure next game, if he turns the puck over once, five minutes in, he'll be sent down to the fourth line so Brett Howden can get out there and play his 25 minutes a game. Well, I think you nailed it on the head with the chemistry. If you don't give players time, like look at the Islanders. Fourth line doesn't need more time to build chemistry. They have that. The second line last year, chemistry. Top line's the same top line it was last year. Third line is the only line where they're trying to find missing pieces, and Trotz has to do what he has to do. For a guy like Lafreniere to come in, Ida, all these guys, how you keep changing it, you're going to hurt their development because they have to play. You know, when you were a player, I'm a goalie, we watch from different angles, but I mean, I think you would agree is you have to play a different game when you're with other people. If you're on the line with Panarin, you know he's going to dish the puck to you. You have more of a, all right, I'm going to finish off a pass. When you're on another line, you might have to be that guy that creates and does the Panarin job. Now, you keep switching it. Not that these players are going to get confused. They're, they're intel, uh, intelligent when it comes to the game of hockey. But if you have to keep switching what their roles are, how do they get settled into doing one thing right? They don't. The, there's two things that – well, there's one thing left that I'll address that Quinn does wrong. We already talked about the mismanagement when it comes to shuffling. But when players are going well – regardless of whether they're Mika Zibanejad or Temi Panarin level or Brendan Lemieux, he doesn't play them the rest of the like, It's just weird how he handles his lineup. Capo Kako looks so good. And yes, there were penalties and power plays and he's not on the second power play unit, which blows my mind because Brendan Lemieux's on it and Brett Howden's on it. And Capo Kako, your number two overall pick is. And it's amazing how the devils use Jack Hughes throughout that game. And he scored twice. He rewarded them for it. Maybe if you use Capo Caco the same way, he'll reward you too, but they don't do that. He doesn't use the same player. Brendan Lemieux had a hell of a shift. Oh, we got a hell of a shift all over social media is two blocks. Dead leg, everything gets up, barely walking, dives and blocks another shot. Bench gets up, they're riled up, right? The shift after that, your first line has to go right out. Have to follow that up and get some momentum. The next shifter, as soon as he's able, Lemieux should be rewarded and going right back out there. And I don't think he did. And there's just certain things that it's just mind-boggling as a coach that he does it. And every single Rangers fan attributed their defensive woes to Lindy Ruff last year and said it's Lindy Ruff's fault, fire him. And he's now on a Devils team that allowed one even-strength goal in their first three games of the season, and they look very good defensively. Yes, they gave up 50 shots. The majority of those were from the outside. The Rangers couldn't beat them, and the Rangers' defense still looks like grade-A poop. It's terrible. It's 
It's just, and it's not the young players. The young players are their best players. The old players stink, and they play the old players the most. And if if I'm if I'm David Quinn and I see Jack Johnson who can't cover somebody in front of the net on a power play or a penalty kill, excuse me, put Keandre Miller out there. I'd rather him make that mistake and learn, so that 15 years from now, when he's still one of your better defensemen. He's not making that mistake anymore. But no, we'd rather have Jack Johnson, and we gave $1 million to for one season, play every minute of a penalty kill. It makes no sense to me. We can't talk about the Rangers anymore. We're done with this for the day. It just it pisses me off. I nope. went on a Twitter rant. Because it, it's not them losing. They outplayed the Devils. They did. It's the coaches losing games because they keep playing the same players who are who've shown their ineptitude for the last two seasons. I mean, Jack Johnson shouldn't be on this roster, right? It shouldn't be playing. And granted, I agree with what you said because be on the Mitchell team. I think there are better. What about Vatman? Put Potato in. Put Potato in. That's Potato was running in practice after game one, correct? Only because of D'Angelo. But that if D'Angelo's in the game yesterday, taking the same shots Jack Johnson's take, you think he's shooting it twenty five feet wide? No. He's scoring. He scored fifty points last season. Now, I get I get the frustration with not scoring. I get that, and I but your your issues. Is it's so funny how the Islanders and Rangers are different teams. One is offensive base, one's defensive base. But you have a same issue that they're not a collect full team. They're both sides aren't operating. You know, we saw the Islanders last year when they went on that great streak. Offense was scoring goals. They were shutting, playing shutdown defense. We saw in the playoffs, offense was scoring goals, shutdown defense until they faced Tampa, the juggernaut of the league. But for the Rangers, it's they have the offense. They just can't stop the puck from going in the net. And granted, it's early in the year. You have young guys on defense. But the biggest question mark for the Rangers was, can this defense take that next step in year two with the young guys they had? And it, can. Top, it has. It has. There's but, just two players who haven't. And that takes the whole – makes everybody look bad. But the problem is one of those players can come out of the lineup. You can't take Truba out of the lineup because you paid the guy $8 million. But you can take Jack Johnson out. He will do so much less damage watching from the press box. It would be amazing to see D'Angelo re-enter the lineup, who is not a defensive stalwart by any means, but he'll contribute offensively. And just watch. Watch the more how free and easy it is when Adam Fox doesn't have to hold back old man Johnson or when Keandre Miller can just have some free and easy movement playing with True, but not have to worry about rotating lines every two seconds. Let them play and take Johnson out of the lineup. Smith has shown you he should be playing over Jack Johnson. Heck, the guy we were playing against last night in roller hockey showed us he should be playing over Jack Johnson. So take the guy out of the damn lineup, please. Please. Let's go to some league news, Brendan, before you blow up. Uh, let's get to some league news. So NHL was using microchips in the pucks for you know tracking and you know creating a new analytics stuff that this league should be looking at to you know improve the game, everything, coaching, whatever. But unfortunately, they are getting rid of that because it is affecting the puck on the rink. Do you buy that? I mean, I buy it. Sure. If this many people are complaining about it, they're seeing it more than we are. I, I think that it's a microchip in the puck. So I'm not entirely sure unless it's the way that they're putting the puck together. Yeah. You know, they built pucks or whatever. They I thought <laughs> they just chopped rubber and said, here you go, freeze it. But uh, we'll see, I, I guess if, if if I watch a game now and the puck's not flopping all over the place, then yeah, I'll realize it was that. But Austin Matthews was asked about this, and he said that, and I, I'm pretty sure this was said in all seriousness. He goes, 
I think that's the reason I wasn't I wasn't bearing those chances, those passes across. I wasn't bearing that. Do you buy that for the reason for Austin Matthews not scoring as many goals as he could? Because everybody in the league is dealing with the same puck. It, it's I, I don't buy I don't buy that. Yes, it might not be sliding as fast. We've already seen amazing goals this year. It's not like you can't put the puck in the net. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. But if somebody like Austin Matthews, who relies solely on quick release, can't settle a puck down, then yeah, it does help. It does hurt him a lot. Like we saw, we saw Bobby Ryan shoot a rolling puck. If you shoot a rolling puck, it could go in. Same way, but Mika Zibanejad had a one time yesterday that he kind of flubbed that went in. You think it has to do with the microchip in the puck? I'm not. I'm not saying it does, but I'm saying we have seen a couple of like missed chances. Like I, I don't know if the puck was in the game last night. It might have been taken out. But I've never seen Mika Zibanejad miss a net like that in the third period. We were talking about it. I hadn't either. But until someone had told me that there was something wrong with the puck, I didn't think about it. Like it wasn't that. It wasn't so clear that no, you're right. The puck is going six less miles an hour on the ice. I, I this is what I don't understand. I, again, I don't know how pucks are made. Do they put a microchip in it? Do they put a lead pipe? Like I don't understand what they put in these pucks. No, I'm reading microchip. I don't get how I've seen microchips, right? You all take your S, your SD de- uh, cards or whatever they are out of your iPhone. They weigh like a feather. H- how how is this slowing down a puck? The only thing I could think of is that they had to put more rubber. I, I don't. How much is rubber? I, I don't understand. I get the issue. If the puck is slowing down, they they're clearly doing something to the puck. If players and, and coaches and whatever are complaining about this, then yeah, but. Why? We have our technology is so advanced that you're telling me that you have to change the way the puck moves like baseball. If they were to add a microchip to baseball, that's different because they're throwing it in the air and stuff like that. You probably have to change it, but this is gliding on a on a on a wet frozen surface. This little microchip How does how does baseball track their technology? Um like, they, they they I'm assuming it's a microchip. I assume it's the same way. So why can't they I don't get it. Why, how do they have problems? Because I was all for this type of technology. Yeah, we talked about this. Forget the fact that it's so cool to see how fast these random shots are. I don't even think they showed it enough during the games when it was used because, like, I only saw one or two times where they said one player skating this fast or this shot was this. They should have a, a chart up in the top right that just shows every shot because that would be so cool to see who's like, shooting uh, what. Like pitch speed. After every pitch, you see how fast it is. Correct. And I think – that if the, the NHL has been pushing betting this year, I don't know if you've seen it, but yeah. on every single broadcast, there's some type of betting advertisement. That is a sick thing to put lines out. Over no other sport has it. Over under hardest shot of the game. Over under hardest pass. Over under fastest straightaway speed. You could do so many things. Over under hardest hit and get the velocity of the check. Not anymore, Brendan. Well, not, no, they're replacing it. Yeah, they just got to figure it out. But let's move on to a great a feel-good story. Bobby Ryan, who is a year removed from going through uh, alcohol abuse and rehab, and he got a one-year deal with the Red Wings. And, you know, I, I wanted the honors to get him. People were saying, oh, he's done. This is it. This is, you know, you're not going to get the Bobby Ryan. Well, he's got, he's got four goals on the year at the Red Wings. He becomes the first Red Wing in franchise history to have four goals in his first three games with the team. And this is a historic franchise that's been around forever. Bobby Ryan is... Sh- it's just a great story to see him not even back playing in the NHL healthy because that's the top. He's putting pucks in the net, and, you know, granted, is he going to score third? Is he going to keep this up? Who knows? But Bobby Ryan is make, early on making the $1 million look like what a deal this was for Detroit. Again, Detroit's a team that had a great offseason. They have so many young guys they have to wait for. 
but they brought in veterans to help steer this franchise in the right direction. And Bobby Ryan's doing a great part, and it's it's great to see. The Capitals just got fined a hundred thousand dollars for what? For COVID violations. Cites players in close contact and not wearing masks. That's unfortunate. And we're going to get to that in a second with the Hurricanes, but uh, just wrap up with the Bobby Ryan. Brendan, what do you – do you think it's like determination? We've seen scored gritty goals. He's one of those guys that back in the day was an, a sniper, but he's he's getting in there right in front of the net, going to the dirty area. I know he scored a goal against Columbus the other way like that. I mean, what are you seeing from Bobby Ryan that allows you to think he could really contribute offensively this year? Top flight minutes, and he's he's clean. He's he, Last year, he obviously was battling something. The year before that, he was obviously battling something. Forever, he's been battling. So he was very good in Anaheim, right? He was good when he first came over to Ottawa, too. And he was obviously really struggling the last two years. He got healthy, and he played well at the end of the season, considering he didn't play at all, right? He came back and got a hat trick. He came back and got a hat trick, and he didn't play at all before that. So the fact that he was able to do that, and he still produced after that, I think that this is just a guy who's very talented, and he finally is getting another, another chance. He's playing top flight minutes in Detroit. He's on their power play. He's getting all this opportunity. And the guys always have one thing that you can't, that doesn't get old. It's a ridiculous release. And his one goal on national TV the other day when they played uh, Columbus right off the draw, he just picked the puck up and didn't even hesitate, ripped it. And Corpusello, no time to get set. That's just a crazy release. And it doesn't matter how old and slow he gets, he's still going to have that release. Same way Ovechkin could slow down, he's still going to be able to shoot the puck. So I, I just think it's a very talented player getting another opportunity. How about Keith Yandel continuing to keep his Iron Man streak alive? He's got three points in two games. His team is 2-0. and I know they have another game postponed because of the Hurricanes with the COVID thing. Keith Yandel is giving the biggest F you to anyone that said that he does not belong to be playing on this back end because you saw the emotion when he scored that goal. Oh, you wanted to hug him right there yourselves, you know, obviously COVID mass, everything on. But, I mean, how can you not feel great for this guy? It's just it's awesome to see a guy like this score and contribute. Did you notice where he sallied? Uh, did not. Right in front of the bench. His bench. He scored oh, on yeah. a half wall yeah. and yeah. skated directly towards the bench, screaming at the bench. And I think it's a message. He didn't say anything bad. He was hype, but he was looking at somebody. He should have been looking up, up uh, at the suite. He was he looking have, right at Quenville. Saying, you're looked, not scratching me. He should have looked at Quenville and then did the Yager salute up to the suites. That would that, have, that would, that would have gotten him scratched. And then, then we would have heard a great story on spin tickets about it. But one more thing before we get to the Hurricanes. Did you hear about Patrick Kane texting Joe Quenville on accident? No. So he's trying, he's trying to text the player Quenville. Um, and he texted his former coach on accident. And they got, they said he talked like back and forth twice. And that was it. That's like texting your ex-girlfriend on accident, running through your phone. And now it's like an awkward where you have to have that conversation. But that's pretty funny to text your old coach. And I mean, I, I grant, I don't think there's any hard feelings. We know how good Quentin was with the cat, uh, with the no black. Way, there's hard feelings what, there. But he got Patrick Kane, but I'm at, you're in a team meeting or you're getting ready to do something with the team. You text the wrong Quentinville. That's funny. That's funny. Are they related? I think they are, right? Um, John Quinnville is the player. They, I don't think, I don't know. It's a very good question. We'll have to find that out and chew that out. But uh, the biggest news, obviously, besides the Capitals being fine, besides Josh Bailey in COVID protocol, is 
the Hurricanes game games have been postponed till January 23rd. COVID, they I think have five players that were tested, and we should talk about this and for a little bit. The, the NHL is a flaw. Now you're seeing Bailey. You don't know what happened. You're seeing the Capitals get fined. You're seeing the Panthers couldn't play because of COVID, and everything's more cautious than I think actually positive tests. But the Hurricanes had an issue where they had players tested, and I the league is not doing what the NBA is doing. The league is not doing rapid tests. They're doing the twenty. You have to wait about twenty four hours to get results, and I understand that because. Those rapid tests aren't accurate. And the last thing you want to do is rapid test, have someone come negative, everyone freaks out. Wait the 24 hours. The problem is players are getting tested, playing in a game. Like this is what happened with the Hurricanes early in the year. Jordan Stahl played in a game after getting a test, found out the next morning or the next day that he in fact was positive. And now this creates a whole nother issue with, all right, I got to do COVID tracing. Well, he was playing in a game. Anyone he went up against in the face-off dot, anyone close contact, he might have infected. Now, I don't know what the numbers are now with the Hurricanes. I think it's still four or five players. But that's just on the Hurricanes. And then these other t- players getting tested, we might find out, okay, this guy's going to test positive. They have to wait. You know, this, this destroys the schedule that they're trying to build. they got to rehab these games at some point. Do you think the NHL is going to be forced in doing what the NBA is doing? It's tough to say because, I don't. I mean, they have a policy in place that they thought would work. So you, you got to think they're going to stick to it. Um, I'm not sure. I really am not sure. I think that they should have done rapid testing to begin with. And then you could also do additional PCR testing 24 hours to see if the rapid test is inaccurate. But to just do a 24-hour test when they're playing every night is a little ridiculous. And they have that, that travel where you have to wait two days before you play on the road, correct? That's that's their game plan? I mean, it depends on the travel aspect of it. But, yeah, usually they're doing that. Like the Rangers have two days off because yeah, the, the Devils were coming in. And, yeah. It's just, you know, you don't want to see at all COVID take this season by storm because it took forever to get players back and to get the season going. But at the same time, it's all about the health and safety. You don't want to put anyone's life at risk because these players aren't in a bubble. They go home to their families now. That's another extra liability that you have. Like I don't know how Josh Bailey got it. And that he's the only one makes me think that it happened on his own when he was home, when he went out, which he probably shouldn't be doing anyway. I'm not going to pretend like I know the situation. But if he's infected, I would have to think, or we're going to have to think that news is going to break about another Islander having it or their game's getting delayed. Like right now, the Islanders are playing the Devils tomorrow. Nobody knows with this thing, though. Exactly. I know people who got it. Nobody in their family got it, and you're in close contact with them. So this—it's crazy. This this thing's been around for what since March, and we still barely know anything about how it, how many people can get it, who gets it. Our tests are still inaccurate. That 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 just blows my mind. But hey, we still have a hockey season going on. We still got some news to talk about. When we come back from this commercial break, 30-second break, this date in hockey history, we always have some good ones, so don't go anywhere. Stay with us. Hey, guys. Stefan here. Each night on Long Island, 180,000 residents will go hungry, 39% of which are kids who have no ability to control their situation. Our friends over at Long Island Hockey Co. are trying to help as many families as possible. Each hat sold on their website will provide 50 meals for food insecure Long Islanders. Head to longislandhockeyco.com and let's help the people in our community. 
All right, let's look back at this date in hockey history. We always seem to have, you know, win streaks, amazing things. I don't think we have a win streak today, Vernon, but we do have some fun ones. I'll kick it off. On this date, what is today's date? The 20th in 1970. That really gives everyone confidence listening that we got the right date for this. <laughs> we got the right dates, I can assure you. But on this date, 1970, Gordie Howe scores his 10th and final goal in an all-star game competition. His power play goal, 7 minutes and 26 seconds into the first period, proves to be the game winner in the Eastern Conference 4-1 victory against the Western Conference at St. Louis Arena. Chicago's Bobby Hull has a goal and an assist and is named the game's most valuable player. Now, we don't see every penalty now is a shootout. I mean, it's a, excuse me, penalty shot. But they took it seriously back then in these in these all-star games, and Gordie Howe is an absolute legend. But, Brendan, the next one, 1982, could go with that one, Wayne Gretzky. Before I read this one, John Quenville is Joel's nephew, courtesy of my father. So, And he is on the Blackhawks? Now he is. He, he was. was. We yeah. watched him in Bing last year for the Bing Devils, yeah. All right, so that makes sense. And, you know, that's one letter off typing in the text. It happens to all of us. Yep. All right. So in 1982, Gretzky becomes the first player in NHL history to have 12 hat-tricks before the age of 21. He gets his sixth hat-trick of the season and 12th of his NHL career when he scores three goals and has two assists in Edmonton Oilers' 8-6 victory against the St. Louis Blues at Northlands Coliseum. 12 hat-tricks before... Okay, first up, there's there's a lot to break down here because 12 hat-tricks in a career. Okay, do you know how many hat-tricks Gretzky ended his career with? If you had to to guess how many he scored. If he has 12 before the age of 21, how many does he have when he called it a career? A lot. 50. A lot. 50. He had 50 hat-tricks. I don't even know what Ovechkin has right now. It is not anywhere close to that number. I'm going to look it up. Ovechkin, Hattrick's career. I guarantee it's maybe seven, eight. Let's see. No, it's got to be a little more. He has, yes, uh, he's got 27. But granted, he's 30-something. And Gretzky had it at 21. So I was a little off. No, but Gretzky had 12 at 21, not 27. He had 12 at 21. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he finished with 50. That's absurd. Grant, okay, we always talk about the goal. He goals. was good at hockey. No, he, he was. But at the same time, that's that's ridiculous. But the next 19- guy is pretty good at hockey too. 1989, Marilyn Mew becomes the second player in NHL history to score 50 goals in fewer than 50 games. He joins Wayne Gretzky, who's done it three times. We know how good Marilyn Mew was. I mean, we don't. We he don't might have been better than Gretzky. Are you? Might, I'm not even saying that. Take? No, it's not a hot take. If he didn't get sick and, and have what happened to him, yeah. he was the only. I think that it's a pretty much a consensus thing that he might have been the only player, had he been healthy, that could have surpassed Gretzky. He was that good. He scored five different goals in one game, five <laughs> different ways, right? Which, uh, to me, he was, he was also very good at hockey. In 2003, Patrick Waugh of the Colorado Avalanche becomes the first goaltender in NHL history to play in 1,000 regular season games. Raw makes 29 saves in a 1-1 tie with the Dallas Stars at the Pepsi Center. <laughs> I, we, we were talking about this. this and how, how depressing it is to do that. Hit that milestone, and the game is a tie. Come on, 
Uh, just... It probably would have been worse to lose in a shootout. I think I'd rather get the tie than a shootout loss. But to end it in a tie? Oh, Grandpa, what happened in this day? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, who won? Nobody won. What do you mean no one won? Yeah, back then, tie. We just ended it. You know what his teammate said to him when he when he told him that in the locker room, though, right? What? Should have had 30 saves. It's true. That's true. That's what I remember growing up when I'd play. I would play, and I'd be like, yeah, Dad, one goal allowed. He goes, why don't you stop all of them? It's parents, right? Teammates and parents. Next, 2017. Vancouver Canucks center Henrik Sedin becomes the 85th player in NHL history with 1,000 points when he scored a goal at 550 into the second period of a 2-1 to victory against the Florida Panthers. The goal comes when he takes a pass from his twin brother, Daniel Sedin, and beats longtime teammate Roberto Luongo. Henrik is the 35th player to get 1,000 points with the same team and fourth who was born in Sweden. This is a cool stat. First off, your brother attributes to it, and you score on Luongo, who, again, played Start with the Panthers. Well, start with the Islanders. Then went to the Panthers. Then went to Vancouver. Then back to the Panthers before he retired. But what a connection there with that stat. We were. I was watching this game when it happened, yeah. and I just remember Luongo wasn't even mad. He was happy. So it was just really cool to see. <laughs> it was just a crazy. I've always said playing with your brother might be one of the coolest things if you could do it and you're that close in age. The fact but, that during that draft when they went Vancouver, they pretty much said, "Listen, you either take both of us or." Not they they always play together and I don't think you will ever see that yeah. ever again where it's yeah we got to take both of you it was if they were packed I don't think they live together I don't think that's the case but the houses are probably right next door probably I mean hey you're playing them next door on the same line so you would say brothers statistically are the most dominant duo in NHL history but what the Sadines did for Vancouver and hockey I mean well, there's a lot of good brothers though they're oh they're completely but. They were Vancouver until yeah. they, were, when they retired. It was sad because like they're, they're done. That's it. <laughs> they were so good at what they did. And the team, I mean, how long you have building chemistry with your brother? You know, it's one thing. Usually when you grow up with brothers, they all play different positions. The stall brothers, you have two forwards, a defenseman. Subban's got a defenseman, a goalie. They have another defenseman, but they played the, I mean, they were playing with each other, travel, whatever it was that they played in Sweden. I mean, you can't have more chemistry than those two brothers had. No, definitely not. All right. On 2019, Jonathan Taves becomes the 12th player to score at least 20 goals in each of his first 12 NHL seasons when he scores three times for his sixth hat trick of the Chicago in the Chicago Blackhawks 8-5 victory against the Washington Capitals at the United Center. He's the fourth member of the Blackhawks to do so, joining Kane and Hall of Famers Hull and Stan Makita. Taves also has an assist on two goals for his third five-point game in the NHL. So similar to what Gretzky did. It was similar, and for Taves right now, obviously he's not playing with some. It's an illness, correct? I think it's an illness. Yeah, yeah. we don't know anything about it, but what he has done for this Blackhawks organization—I know they're getting older. Patrick Kane, by the way, is still scoring beautiful goals, and he's yeah. never—he's never going to stop. He's, he's still very good at hockey. Very There's good. a lot of people who are just very good at the sport. I'm not yeah. one of them. And that's why we're talking, and they play. But for you know Taves, I don't know if he goes down as one of the best captains captains in NHL history. I would put him there, but then again, I've only been alive since 1998. I'm biased. There's somebody else that has that role, in my opinion. Uh, is it Brian Leach? It's Mark Messier. Oh. So, but, I mean, obviously there's different, but, I mean, Jonathan Taves has led this Blackhawks team, and I feel this year would have been probably one of the most important years of being a captain because you had the high and lows. You had him dominance of the Blackhawks, and now you have a rebuild coming where he's still your captain, 
and to see if he could get out of the young players, what he got out of Keith when they first came up together, what that unit made, and help build the next succession. Pretty much because when he's gone, the guys there now are building to try to get Chicago back to being competitive. I think a captain now is is very important to their development, and to not have him on the rink really, really, I don't think it hurts the development, but he would have had been such an added plus f- to be a leader in that room. Most definitely. They, they really miss him, and there's no question about it. Not even for his on-ice production, but like you said, is off of it. And their, their season went downhill as soon as they agreed to let Kirby Doc play in the World Juniors. I thought that was a mistake. I know people wanted to see Lafreniere go, but it was, they made the right move holding him back. And it's unfortunate what happened to Doc because it wasn't just like a, a two-month injury. It was He's done for the year now because of it. So that coupled with Taves and no one knows what's going on still. I don't know. I, at this point, he should just sit out this season, especially with what's going on with COVID. Just worry about himself, get better. It's not like the Blackhawks are going anywhere with how they look so far. So just worry about your own health. Come back next year and, and go from there. All right, I'm going to put Manu on the spot here because the puck has yet to drop in any of the games tonight. So you have 7 o'clock. Oilers leaves nine o'clock. Sharks Blues nine thirty. Wild Ducks ten o'clock. Canadians Canucks and another ten o'clock game. Cody's Vegas. We're gonna do our picks right now, Brendan. In the last couple of minutes here. Edmonton Toronto. Edmonton's one and three. Toronto's three and one. Who are you taking? Give me Edmonton tonight. I will disagree and take Toronto. I do not. The the goaltending for Edmonton has been. Abysmal, and their defense has struggled, and Toronto scores. I'm taking Toronto all the way. Granted, we know how everything can change. It's hockey. Any team can beat any team every night. You have Matthews versus McDavid, but I think Leafs. Next game, Sharks at Blues. Sharks are 1-2. and two. Blues are 2-1. and one. I'll go first. I'm going to take the Blues again. The Sharks are just too easy of a team to play against. And now their goaltending is, again, been brutal. We talked about it earlier. I think they have, you know, like dumber, dumber for goaltending because Jones has been terrible the last couple of years. Dumnik was terrible last year. Now you put him on, on a team, you think one of them could, you know, take that starting job, but it's all right. Who's going to be less worse tonight? And it's just been bad. Yeah, I'm agreeing with you there. I'll take the Blues. Okay, fair enough. Wild at the Ducks. Wild, there are two and one. The Ducks are one, one and one. Oh. Uh, I uh, don't like taking this one without looking at anything. Uh, give me the wild. Are you thinking about starting goalie to look at? Is that is that your biggest concern? Starting goalie to see how they've played in the past. If I'm going to pick, I like to do a little bit of recon. But give me the wild just because straight up I think they have a little more talent on their side. I was going to take the wild as well. I think this guy Kaprizov is just – when you think about players to watch in this league, you know – you know the top guys, of course, but this guy is must-watch. He, he just looks like an elite player in his first year. It's great to see. Next game, Canadians 2-0-1 at Vancouver 1-3-0. They look to stay. Canadians look to stay undefeated in regulation. Who do you have in this one? I picked the Canucks to win this one tonight. I think that with how we've seen the NHL go so far this season, Montreal's due for their regulation loss, and the Canucks were plus like 110 when I saw them. So I took the Canucks. I actually bet them tonight. So I'm sticking with that. I'm going to take the Canucks as well. I just think we talk about streaks all the time, and with the way this 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 season is operating, it's going to be so hard to just play play bad teams and beat them. And Montreal is not a bad team at all. Vancouver is, you know, they're not playing great out of the gate, but they're also they have offense as well. So I agree with you. I think Vancouver takes this one. Last game on the schedule: Coyotes one one and one at Vegas, who is undefeated first time in their history, which is not that long, of course, but they are three zero and zero to start a year. 
they're going to be 4-0. Yeah, I, I completely agree they're going to be 4-0. They're too good. They are too good. So one thing I want to talk about before we go is, you know, the Stanley Cup, are the Flyers legit? Can they win the Stanley Cup with the unit they have right now? No. But do you think they can get to the Stanley Cup Finals? They're perfect the way they are to win the Stanley Cup, but the man behind the bench won't do it. He didn't do it in New York. Do you think it's the chewing gum guy? That's I've, I've seen coaching changes and coaching decisions that he's made in the postseason with the Rangers to have very minimal faith that he will be able to get the Flyers over that hump. It, it was just the amount of times and when the Rangers' last playoff run against Ottawa that they had late leads and blew yes. it because he had such a passive defensive system when they had a lead late in games. Hurt them. And that was on a Rangers defensive team that at the time was one of the best in the league. Even at the end of that run, they were still up there. And I don't think the Flyers are as good defensively. So for them to be able to beat teams in the playoffs, I don't think his style of hockey is going to work. And he's a great coach. He might be one of the best regular season coaches I've ever seen. I've never seen teams just every time he coaches a team, they excel. And he's taken two different teams to the cup final. He just doesn't have that maneuverability, I guess, to get over that hump, to outcoach somebody else when it matters most. All right, last thing is Carter Hart was not good at game against the Sabres. They lose 6-1 to in that game. Come back with a 3 nothing win, but Hart wasn't in that. It was Elliott that made 40 saves. For the next game against the struggling Bruins, who can't score a 5-on-5, five five, you go back to Hart, or you – Keep Elliott in because he had such a he performed well in relief of Hart, and then he performed very well the game after. Elliott had great career numbers against Buffalo. Yep. Going into that. And that's all that is. Hart your number one, Hart your number one for the next 15 years. You go back to Hart. All right. Well, the Oilers Maple Leafs game has just started. Thanks to our guest, Jimmy Murphy, coming on of Boston Hockey Now. It was it's been an excellent episode, and we thank you for coming on. Guys, Another edition of the Back Check will be Sunday. It's a pre-recorded show, and then we will see you guys back again next week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. The Back Check is your one-stop shop for NHL news and all things Rangers and Islanders. Thanks for sticking with us for this edition of the Back Check. Follow the show on social media at Back Check Pod.